Ghosts are horny. Spooky. Revisiting female violence. <laughs> that could be any of these episodes. I, I hate to bring up <laughs> bugs. Once again, I have to bring up bugs. Six quick and easy steps for your common demon summoning. I accept this headcanon. Liberal propaganda. Damn cucks. This is a John Winchester hate zone. Could have had mm-hmm. Killer Optimus Prime and he had to be racist. To be fucking racist. Persqueeter. Hi and welcome to On the Road with Supernatural, the podcast where you watch and discuss Supernatural episode to episode from the beginning. I'm Jasper Graydon. I'm Jordan Grimm. And I'm Allie. And we'll be your hosts for this Monster of the Week journey through American folklore and Christian mythology. Woo, season three. We're there, woo. We made we it. We made it. Jinx. You owe me soda. <laughs> but I'm, you didn't say jinx. I said jinx. You owe me a soda. <laughs> Too late. Um, welcome <laughs> to season three. <laughs> How are we are. feeling about season three? Are we excited for season Very three? Very excited. I was really over it with season two by the time we got to that. I was like, get yeah. out of here. <laughs> we finished strong, but it was a journey. That it is was. for sure. It, it really was. I had talked so much trash about season one that I forgot how much season two drags as well. Um, so I'm glad to be on the other side of that. Yeah, I definitely think that like in my other rewatch of season two, like I, I binged it to pre-watch for our recording. Um, and I was like, oh fuck, this season is so good. But then when we were watching it, like just before the episodes to like refresh I was like oh man (laughs) (laughs) well I'm like learning that there's like a distinct difference between like critiquing something and like watching it because of course when you're watching it like your brain will funnel in if it's good or not but um when you're like having to sit there focus and nitpick every little thing it can like give you a whole new perception on like something it's interesting Yeah. And like my default is already way too analytical. So like when I'm actually focusing on taking notes and creating feedback for content, it's like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So Jordan, I really want to hear about your hopes and fears for this season. What are your expectations? Tell me everything. Oh, I'm glad we're bringing this up because I was thinking about this while watching this episode. Because I think just within this episode, they were able to achieve some of the things that I wanted. Mm-hmm. At its core, Supernatural does not have bad bones. It has good bones as yeah. a TV show. What I want is more finesse. Uh, you both have told me this happens during the writer's strike. So I'm kind of curious to see how that mm-hmm. affects it all. I apologize for interrupting. But like we've discussed, the biggest effect is just that the season is shortened down to 16 episodes as opposed to like the full 21, 22 Nice. I like a short season. It's kind of more in line with modern television, so it'll be fun to compare. What I want is just more chemistry. I want more of those fun moments. Between the brothers. Between the brothers, I want them to really utilize the other characters that they bring in, whether they live or not. I think this will be a good starting point in the series for starting to introduce more reoccurring characters like Bobby that add more to the universe as a whole. That's the big one. I would like clearer messaging without slapping us on the face with it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think 
like something that this season does well that is a problem in the first two seasons is that sort of utilization of the third character the outsider character in the episodes and I think even just in this one in particular like Isaac and Tamara feel very fleshed out to me way more than like your usual one-off episode characters so I'm hopeful I'm hopeful that you'll be satisfied with where this season goes nice I'm very excited did you like the new title card by the way Yes, very much so. I think it I is the it. best one yet. Yeah, no, I love it. I love the the devil's trap symbol. It got get the big old scorpion in there and everything. It's cute. It's cute. Yeah, and it really sets the tone for like what we're gonna be expecting even in this yeah. episode. Yeah, they're like, hey, by the way, this season, demons. <laughs> I feel like this one has more colors in the title card too, so it just adds depth. Like the other ones were very much like a screensaver. The screensaver, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. I like the purple. I love the purple and the blue instead of just the plain smoke. So dramatic. Someone pointed out online recently that like the noise during the title card is like the sound effect that happens in the pilot when Mary is like bursting into flames and I think that is hilarious (laughs) what the fuck why (laughs) I don't know I love that this show worships John and continuously kills Mary yeah I love that for them so I love I mean detest (laughs) yeah same here oof Today's episode is season three, episode one, The Magnificent Seven, the one without any cowboys or samurai. This episode was written by Eric Kripke and directed by Kim Manners and originally aired on October 4th, 2007. Nice. Starting us off with that early Halloween season, getting our supernatural fix. Spooky ooky. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was not spooky. This cold open. <laughs> I am obsessed yeah. with this cold open. It is so goofy. Goofy as fuck. Yeah. Like, what is with the rattling trash cans? I was just laughing. Yeah. These guys dress like the stereotypical nerd. Like, his shirt tucked in. Like, the, he looks kind of bumbling. He's a suburbanite, you know? They wear plaid short sleeve button downs that are tucked into their ill-fitting khakis. That's just what you do when you live in the suburbs, Allie. And take out the Please trash at like away. 11 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you have nothing to fear in the suburbs. <laughs> On a more positive note, I do actually like this cold open, though. Like, aside from the weird trash can rattling, I just think there's something really atmospheric about, like, all the electricity and stuff with the flashing lamps and headlights and things like that. And then the way they're, like... I don't know. It's kind of on the nose. It's like goofy as fuck, but they're like highlighting the fact that like demons are coming for America. Like, did you see all the fucking American flags? Yeah. (laughs) Like in a row. (laughs) And they have the shaky cam and everything going on. I love it. Do you like how it's more atmospheric when in the past it's kind of been like we get a whooshing sound and someone's possessed? Like this builds to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. It's about as much to do as there was in episode four of season mm. one phantom wow, that was it was that early wow yeah yeah i thought it might have been a little later but no yeah that was the last time there was any like really big to do about the act of possession 
my favorite part about this cold open was I forgot that like the demons form these like giant smoke dongs and throat fuck people <laughs> into like being possessed. <laughs> like there's this nerd taking out his trash in the middle Shut of the night up! and then he's like on his back getting throat fucked by this big cloud. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this? The whole time I had that like TikTok meme where they're like, even if the sky is falling, but my head kept going, even if the sky is yarding. I feel like sometimes when we come to an episode, Jordan watched a different version of what I wanted. <laughs> right. Like that would it's never have occurred to me. Like there's plenty of times I'm watching TV. I probably make things a little more sexual than they're intended. Just wait to hear what I have to say about penetration Ooh. during season four, episode one. Hell yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but no, that just didn't occur to me. And now I'm going to be thinking about throat fucking every single time there's a demon possession. Thank you, Jordan. Well, this one was just like extra throat fucky. This was an extra thick one. Yes. Super thick. So thick. A little thickums. I do have one question for you all, though. Oh, yeah. Do you think it was better to show this like a big possession blob, you know, attacking Chicago and possessing people? Or would it have been better to kind of leave some mystery around how many demons had escaped? I like this. I like the over the top. I went like, because when we saw the gates of hell and how much like rushed out, um, I kind of like how they're building with that. And they don't like kind of like, I feel like it would almost take away if it was just a one off anymore. It's kind of like we've entered an all new ballpark all new game why am i bringing sports into this i should never fucking do that Uh, what the fuck like we're way too gay for this don't talk about sports i don't know anything about baseball they they hit a ball with a stick i don't know yes level wise this matches the vibes that's what i'll say i'm glad they're continuing it and making it over the top i actually agree i love the big blob like is it stupid looking yes were their special effects bad also yes I love it though. Like, I don't know. They need some sort of tangible, visual way to show us that there's something to be worried about. And it saves a lot of time to just have a big demon blob, you know, as opposed to having like a gajillion people with black eyeballs running around. Like it just, or like even um, Isaac brings up later, he's like, oh, there's hundreds of demons, more than we could deal with, blah, blah, blah. But we know that he's right because we saw it with our eyeballs. There we have the confirmation. And I just think a lot of shows suffer from when they kind of reset to the same format or same stakes. Like it feels like this progresses and grows, which Supernatural doesn't always do so well. So I appreciate that here they do. Counterpoint. They do have a power creep problem, just saying. (laughs) But it doesn't get really bad until post-season six, I think. Okay. Are we ready to talk about the scene after the cold open? Yeah, poor Sam. He's so put upon. Although, like, I think his tone for, like, a good 85-90% of the episode is more, like, amused than he normally would be, I think. Like, he gives him a lot of leeways, very indulgent of Dean being just horrible and annoying. (laughs) 
I really liked Sam in this scene. I like him because Sam is always a little judgmental of Dean's actions and behaviors. But in this, it just kind of like reminded me of like when you, you know, give your dog a steak before like knowing it's like not going to have long left. It's kind of I thought that vibe was funny. And the way he was like letting Dean indulge was like as stupid as possible. Oh, yeah. So I thought that was kind of funny, especially like the fucking in the window I was like come the fuck on like this is too much but yeah and the fucking in the window like that's your sibling that's your brother yeah Yeah, I mean I think on some degree it feels appropriate for the show though because like that is just Dean he is always like weirdly overly like TMI or like you know about his sex stuff with Sam to try and get a rise out of him so it just feels like an escalated version of that to me personally I do really appreciate this scene for the contrast between the their two coping strategies here which I think is um, most of what's going on so you have Dean being completely ridiculous um and Sam putting up with it because he's like, well, I'm going to actually solve this problem. And he's like researching and talking to Bobby on the phone and all this stuff. Yeah, there is. Um, a- he, he has the Dr. Faustus book or whatever yeah. in his lap. There is one other thing about this scene, too, which I won't read too much into, but I have to bring it up. We still are getting this running thing of any time Dean has sex with a woman, it always has to be as performative as possible. And yeah, I like, it's literally a performance. He's like, hey, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> Being the sex guy. It's so weird. And like, he has to make sure like him having sex is talked about, like people know about it. Right. It's just, it's just something interesting to note. Yeah, no, for sure. Some other stuff that he does throughout this episode, I just want to briefly mention, since we're on the topic of Sam being indulgent, he has his bad eating habits. He's like way too flirty with the store clerk. And he he just keeps talking about the twins in the car. Yeah. Double double mint twins, which can I say just real quick, what the fuck is with that trope? It's like the threesome with twins. Like, cause I don't have a twin. Okay. But I have siblings. And my closest in age sibling is four years younger than me. And like, there's no fucking way, like, I don't care how interested in someone I am, how hot they are or whatever. If someone is like trying to have sex with me and also my sister, I'm going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why the fuck do you think? Yeah. <laughs> like, I want my sister anywhere near my sex life. Or uh, the mother daughter trope. Yeah. so like i don't know like what's the appeal what's the appeal there i just don't get it have to ask a straight man and i don't want to let me get my roommate hold on (laughs) it also to me reads like it makes me kind of sad because i'm like what if we found out we were dying before we realized we were gay like that would be a sad I feel like that's what Dean is going through and I just feel very extra sad oh no I hadn't thought about it like that Allie I don't know I feel like he has to be at least somewhat aware of himself at this point like he's looking at dudes butts and disappearing into the men's bathroom for an hour and stuff like that but all men do that but I think Mm. especially if you're bisexual like it is so easy to write that off 
Yeah. Because even I was like, yeah, I totally have sex with a woman, but that doesn't make me bi. You're probably right. You're probably right. But yeah, twins. I don't know. That's gross. Every time that comes up in a thing, I'm like, what's wrong with you? So what's wrong with you, Dean? That's that's why it's called performative masculinity. Yes. All of the above. I meant it rhetorically. (laughs) We do get a mention that this is in cities as well. And a mention of the apocalypse. I like how they just drop that in and then walk away from it. Like, I really like that they're kind of building up what this is, but not dealing with it yet. Like, they don't even have to get into it. It's just something for us to note and think about. Yeah, I mean, they don't know how to deal with it. They're kind of at a loss. So I think with that, they end up finding a lead. Yeah, Bobby has a lead for them. On the phone, he lets Sam know that there's some demon omens in Lincoln, Nebraska. So Sam curses his eyeballs with some form of brother nudity (laughs) in order to be like, hey, we got to go. Just the phrase brother nudity. (laughs) It's horrific. (laughs) I apologize. I don't know why I speak the way I do, but I do. I am obsessed with this Dean action and I want to steal it. Where you go up to a door, pound aggressively on the door and just scream, Candy Graham! (laughs) Before you enter. (laughs) That was just so Dean. I love that. Yeah, he's a goober. Yeah, especially in the house of like middle of nowhere Nebraska, I bet they would have shit themselves. <laughs> yeah, like I would be fucking terrified if someone did this to my door. No, for sure. If someone knocks politely on my door, I'm liable to piss my pants. So like, <laughs> I, I don't think I could handle that level of noise. But yeah, when they get in the house, though, I'm so interested in like the shriveled up bodies. I just think like the effects there look really good. I don't know. They just look so wrinkly and tangible. I'm obsessed with it. I agree. Yeah, the wrinkly kind of confused me because it wasn't even decay necessarily. Yeah, I think it was meant to be dehydration. It's interesting to me, though, because like insofar as like the cardinal sins are concerned, sitting and not doing anything on the couch is like it's indolent. Sure. But is it sloth? Not really. So it's like, that's like a weird space to define. I don't know. I don't want to get too much into the seven deadly sins because I'm assuming that's what Ali has prepared for us. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it interested me. And especially like when we think of like being lazy watching TV, like this TV looks like it's out of the fucking (laughs) fifties. It's just such a weird. Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure even in 2007, like our TVs were heavy and fat and whatever, but they weren't like, yeah, that looks like a TV from like the eighties. Yeah. So we're like, we're watching, we're watching the scene on a TV show that has like 15 seasons. Like they're a little bit shooting themselves in the own foot. Like they're preaching about like not watching TV. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Right. They're like, you television watchers, you, you audience, you. If you have such strong things to say, why are you working in the television industry then, writer? Yeah. (laughs) What's up with that? (laughs) Let me be lazy. Seems pretty prideful of you to (laughs) act as if you are God and can judge us. (laughs) (laughs) We get Tamara and Isaac right here, though. Yeah. 
I thought they were really charming. I definitely am a little cringed out by like the weird, oh honey, haha, like heterosexual marriage thing that always seems to be a thing on TV. Um, you mean you don't like the phrase the family that slays together? <laughs> it helped that they didn't finish it. I wish they had said it in unison. Horrible. Oh my gosh, that would have been terrifying. No. <laughs> Uh, this is the point when, like, I knew one of them or both of them was going to die because I'm like, right. they made them like each other way too much. Right. Well, <laughs> and then they also specifically referenced them staying together and, like, we just had our anniversary and, like, da-da-da, all this crap. I'm like, hmm, <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder which one of you is going to die this episode. Yeah. Once I saw that they were people of color on Supernatural, I was okay, that like, too. well, one's going to that too, but even if they had been white, I think one of True. them would have died just oh, because of the nature of their relationship. Happy, happy in this world. No. Happy, happy, happy. I have to say, like, some of the shit they have in their little hideout was just like fucking sending me. So, like, they're talking about Palo Santo wood or whatever. Yeah, okay. And then they're like, where's the Palo Santo? And he's like, he can't find it. And she hands it to him. And then it comes fully into the frame. And it's like a steak, like a vampire killing steak. I have never seen a piece of Palo Santo wood like bigger than like a finger. Like, (laughs) what the fuck? (laughs) Well, clearly you haven't been to the Hunter Supply Store. (laughs) Oh, okay. Is this also where they get their custom weapons cages and their their yes. fitted hydraulic? Yes, they have one showroom in the middle of the United States, smack dab <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> it's right next door to the bunker. Okay, so there's the Palo Santo vampire steak. And then they also have like this weird like little mobile or like it looks like those hanging things that you put like bras and underwear and stuff on like after Mm -hmm. they come out of the wash. Just like a rotating thing with clips. And I noticed it had a blue sage bundle on it. It also had a really, really hard looking snake skin like snake skin even when it's dried is like kind of flexible and like semi-translucent but it was like hard and I was it's, like why is it like that it's vegan snake skin <laughs> you mean plastic <laughs> okay but then the best for last there's just like a beat to shit baby doll yeah, from its soft <laughs> little belly with its horrible little limbs and head hanging beneath it. That one's just for decor. I like it, it up at the end from season two. Yeah, this like weird rack. I was like, this is the weirdest dry cleaning order ever. I thought it was so <laughs> strange. Okay, also though, like, why is Sam touching everything? Like, I feel like like, you don't know what kind you like, you're dealing with magical objects. Maybe things are cursed. You don't know. Like, stop touching stuff. <laughs> Fucking weirdo. To me, that's like walking into the Warren Museum and like rubbing your hands on each side of the wrecks. I just don't even know. I don't even know. Yeah, we get some goofiness too, where they say like, this isn't Scooby-Doo, which also sends me into a spiral because they do have a Scooby-Doo episode. So yeah, do they know this is, on a show? Like, this is literally Scooby-Doo, actually, just so you know, Isaac. Yeah. Um, I, I 
it is kind of a goofy scene, but I actually don't mind it. I think it does a lot of work for um, world building and you get a lot of reactions out of both Dean and Sam and Bobby as to how they're feeling about the whole post Devil's Gate thing. I love that there's this invocation here that comes out since Isaac so clearly is like, I'm not fucking working with y'all, that people know about it. They like, they know, and they're like, this is your fucking fault. But also it was Jake though. It was, it was Jake. Jake. It was Jake who opened the yes! mausoleum or whatever. Like they didn't do it. They went there to try and prevent him from doing it. He would and, have been there anyway. And also now we're finding out that there's all these other hunters that knew about the apocalypse and it was only these two who tried to stop it. I was yeah, like, you all could have like, been there. Right. They're like, y'all motherfuckers caused the apocalypse to start. And they're like, okay, where was your ass? Is what I think they should have said. Yeah. I don't know. They left it to poor Bobby and Ellen to literally close the gates of hell. Oh Bobby, my they're god, like... that was hilarious. They're like, oh, we're old. <laughs> <laughs> is this like the JV team talking shit when the varsity team loses? Yes, you're exactly right. It still seems stupid not to team up. Even if yes. you're like, I don't know if y'all are the safest people to be around. Like, it seems like dealing with a bunch of demons, you might want five people instead of two. Yeah, I agree. Like, like how helpful has Bobby knows? been? Like, how many extra hands is useful? And Bobby knows everything. And they yeah. know Bobby, so they know Bobby knows everything. Yeah. Let's be clear. Bobby is a god among men. <laughs> this is true. This is true. also team up. Even knowing the like gravity of the situation, they're mm-hmm. still not really prepared for what it actually is like, though. So while I'm like team up, I do think it's interesting to see like how other experienced hunters are underestimating what is to come. Right. Yeah. 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 Like they have some sense of the danger, but not the whole picture. Briefly, I wanted to touch on the fact that it's Bobby who knows these two. And it seems to be Bobby very often who is their connection into like the outside world. Like Bobby knows all the other hunters and Bobby's in touch with folks who have the information, like when they're researching things and what have you. So I just, I just love Bobby. Even outside of the fact that I just like his character, like he's so useful in the narrative for just like getting everything that they need. And like, it it doesn't feel lazy. It doesn't feel like lazy writing. It feels totally believable that like he's been around for a while. He knows lots of things and lots of people. He has resources. I agree. I'm glad. (laughs) Good. Are we ready to talk about the danger that we were referring to earlier, which you is mean a bar uh, sh- full of demons. Well, I was going to say a chartreuse shoe. Oh my god! Yeah, the shoe of envy. <laughs> yes, they were like, "Look at this shoe; it's green, and she wants it, but it's not hers." Yeah, I'm obsessed with that. By the way, <laughs> that shoe is pretty ugly. Oh, totally! It was a horrible shoe. I'm sure you could find something to wear it with where it would be like sickening. You know, but like you'd really have to dig like you would need something that was like super insane already. And it would have to be like a really minor accent color for it to work at all. I think otherwise you're going to be out there looking like, well, I don't know, but it's going to look bad. (laughs) 
I like this more comical take on building tension. I think that's something the show does well and should do more often because when it takes itself too seriously, when we have like a genie, for example, like (laughs) we see what happens. Like we're dealing with the seven deadly sins, like make it stupid, make someone beat each other up over a shoe. Yeah. Why the fuck not? You know, I feel like especially since they're doing like the seven deadly sins personified, like it's not even like they're creating some sort of like mood or anything. It's just like, yeah, that dude, he's gluttony. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like so it works like, you know, make it a romp. Why not? I agree. She took that lady out fast, though. When she went to take her out, she was like not fucking around. Like it only took like two strong head bashes and she was like fucking dead as a doornail. People will do anything for a good pump. That's true. I know I would. (laughs) After this scene, do we get the bar? Yeah. So they're staking out this bar for a while. Actually, this is another Bobby moment that I really like. And part of the reason why I just like having Bobby around in general as like a third character in their little unit, because Dean is being how he is this episode. He's just like rearing to go the whole time. And, you know, just lots of reckless behavior. And Bobby's like, no, like, sh- like, are you stupid? Like, we need to get more intelligence. Like, we need, we don't know anything right now. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And it's nice. I don't know. Especially having that reminder right at the beginning of the season that his behavior is like completely batshit when he's running around just like, who cares? <laughs> I'm gonna die. Yeah, I agree. I think he adds a lot to this episode. And it also kind of shows that there's so much like polarity between Sam and Dean having that buffer really helps add more dimension to the show and the cast. Totally agree. Especially when they're just like butting heads a lot. And this kind of leads to what you were talking about earlier, Jasper too, like where it's just better to stick together or else we get incidents like this. (laughs) Or else we get incidents like a demon forcing your husband to glug Drano until he dies. Oh my god. Okay, but like, we've had so many references to Sixth Sense. I am sure the demons in hell are watching that at this point in this universe. It's iconic. Truly. I mean, I have no problems with it. Honestly, I really like this bar scene. The only thing that like kind of makes me uncomfortable is the lust demon because there's not a lot of sapphism in this series for a very long time and like the only times we've seen it it's just it's the depiction of it is just bad like there was lily in all hell breaks loose part one died immediately and then here there's a woman expressing you know lust after another woman and it's just like really gross and like the fact that it's the embodiment of lust it's like oh so you're saying it's sinful to be sapphic okay (laughs) so I'm like for one like that's something that's been kind of annoying about supernatural in general is they always have these really offensive canned lines where they like think it's canned but it like really hurts the show Um, Also, yeah, we do have the comparison of lesbianism to being nefarious. And lastly, I'm like, how cool would it have been to have the lust demon be a man who traps Dean in the house later? It would have been a good time to play with something. I don't know. 
maybe it's too early in the series it's but too, it's too early it's too early yeah it's they're it's, too afraid yeah no literally actually yeah. <laughs> actually yes although i don't know how i would have felt about there being a predatory gay character yes. on any level to be honest considering the depiction of gay people at the time was almost always as oh yeah predators or tragic figures but other listen other than the lust demon i i, I love this scene tamara and isaac are shifty as fuck like they yeah. are so suspicious looking they're all like bent over and like looking around and Isaac is playing with his little holy water flask in his lap like oh hoo, hoo, here it is like I'm like come on <laughs> very obviously following the guy into the bathroom and all this shit and I just love that like the demons were just like playing bar I was like what the f-? it's so weird it's their little ha- it's where they hang out yeah it's where they like decompress from I like after it. having to deal with hunters this scene does make me want to hang out with demons though it looks like yeah. they're having a great time and i love how they turn around and everyone's a demon like even when i know that's what happens like it right. still feels a little shocking i love that reveal i love it i just love the concept of like a bar for non-humans in general like there's a reason i'm so obsessed with the bar and buffy that they always yes. go to the bar oh my god where all the vampires hang out spike going in there like give me the good stuff don't want any of that orangutan (laughs) orangutan (laughs) um and then even like an angel too they have the karaoke bar that lorne owns i just love that concept i wish they had leaned into stuff like that more with this but eh, what are you gonna do but I agree. I want to hang out with them they seem like they're really close friends and they just have a good time it's, it's like cheers, but demons. All I ever wanted. I never knew I wanted that, but that's all I want is a sitcom like cheers, but demons. But demons. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like somebody make this show. Don't make me do it. Right. It didn't make a lot of sense for them to wait like a full five minutes of Tamara and Isaac being in there to yes. like try and come in. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. They should have gone in Immediately. immediately. It was ridiculous. I think they were mostly just trying to like not blow their cover or whatever. But I don't know. Like it's still just like when did they pick to go in? I will say I love that they broke down the door with the car. That was sweet. That I I love that shit. That's my favorite. Having that in the season three premiere when the pilot episode also had that, and there was there wasn't a big car thing in the season two one but they had just had a big car thing i don't know it just feels right start out with crazy car scene if they're gonna break in like that like that was an awesome entrance but do that from the fucking start like you know this other hunter couple is right to be fair they didn't know that every person was a demon in the bar that's true they've been watching it for days fair i loved isaac's stuff scene though it was good it was a good good it was good and having Tamara like flip the fuck out and all this stuff everybody was so good in this scene I was like oh shit stuff is happening felt really invested you remember the other day we were talking about how like whenever we get to an action scene if it's any good there's like a gap in our notes yeah yeah totally happened to me here I was like oh I maybe should write something down for this who knows 
I was totally invested in. I love the car, the trunk seal. I think that is so funny and so clever. Yes, I'm obsessed with that. So good. And I will forever be happy every time it is used. Mm-hmm. Just toss them in the back. This is where we get Bobby's information on what's going on here with the seven deadly sins. Yeah. So I'd love to go into some lore, if y'all don't mind. I would not mind. I, in fact, would love to hear what you have to say about the lore of the seven deadly sins or the seven cardinal sins, as they are sometimes called. Yeah, so first I was going to talk about Binsfield, because uh, Bobby directly references Binsfield classification of demons, which is so interesting. This isn't something I'd really known about, but weirdly, it's... Well, not weirdly. It's not a correct reference because he was a huge witch hunter and he was part of the Trier witch trials where up to 100k people were executed. And he was one of the main ones. And he was considered a moderate because he's like, we should only kill teenagers some of the time because they can only get possessed some of the time. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) But his big thing he's known for, he put a demon to each of the seven deadly sins. So for him, he said that pride was Lucifer, greed was Mammon, lust is Asmodeus, envy's Leviathan, gluttony's Beelzebub, wrath is Satan, and sloth is Belphegor. He's one I've never heard of. Yeah, I don't know why, but I knew sloth. <laughs> sloth for really? some fucking reason. You know, it's probably because of all the fucking Shin Megami Tensei and Persona that I play. Fucking nerd ass over here. Sorry. <laughs> here. I thought it was interesting because, spoiler alert for later, we will get some characters in it. But then they have no connection, so it's interesting that they reference this and then uh, none of it is even brought up ever again. Go Supernatural. But the seven deadly sins are really interesting because a lot of people think they're tied to the Bible. They're actually later. And it's really iffy, like what are they're considered um, because they're originally from Egypt and then brought to Italy. Now, when I say Egypt, it was a Christian like philosopher in Egypt. It was not someone of a different culture. He came up with these and they brought them to Italy in 375 CE. And then in 590, Pope Gregory I, if you're Catholic, you've heard of him 20 million times over, he narrowed it down to seven. And then if you like philosophy and or you're Catholic, you've also heard of Sir Thomas Aquinas, who edited it to give R7 because they've changed what they are in the 13th century, except the only difference is that pride was called vainglory but it was pretty much the same concept interesting so vainglory is a much better word though it is i i like the uh, adjectival vainglorious the most it's such a good word and so it's interesting to me that we didn't even get that like this set of seven until the 1200s because whenever i think of them like I always thought I was part of the Bible. I always thought that this was like a core tenement of Christianity, but nope, it's another like added in. The Lords of Sin kind of reminds me of like a Dante's Inferno, like really steroided version of Christianity. And like, I love that shit. You mean Christianity fanfics? Yeah, literally. I wanted to more specifically define a couple of the seven deadly sins because sloth and pride are kind of nebulous. 
as we were talking about sloth before, it's not really just like laziness. Sloth is more like neglecting responsibilities and things like that to the point of your life sort of like not falling apart, but just like intense neglect of responsibility to the point where it's a problem. Yeah. And the other aspect of it being like an indifference toward engaging with life to touch briefly on pride, since pride is highlighted as well in this episode. They even say in the episode that it's the root of all sin. And it is basically just like feeling like you're God or not being able to acknowledge that you're not God, forgetting your lack of divinity. I was looking around online for like succinct ways to explain pride. And I saw that C.S. Lewis had written about it and called pride the anti-God state, which I thought was interesting phrasing considering uh, this episode and the things that pride says to Sam. And as we go into episodes in the future, I'm going to go more in depth on the individual ones we're seeing. I just kind of wanted to give a brief overview as we're first introduced to them. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Well, talking about the uh, seven deadly sins, we have one of them in the car right now. So (laughs) yeah. And Envy with who they drag inside. He's got a lot to say. He's got a big dang mouth. Yeah. They only have to torture him a little bit. And he's like, I'm going to (laughs) talk. Throw a little water on him. Envy to me is the middle child of the group. Doesn't take much. And he's like, I'll open up and tell you all the shit. Envy's the catty bitch with all of the goss. And I did like him using like a Bible quote too, which is that horrible Bible quote that like Anonymous was using in like 2010. The Which one? The We Are Legion. Uh, oh, that. Yeah. It was just like cringe, but also funny. I do kind of like that because that's supposed to reference like the enormity of it. So it kind of does continue to build with this episode of like how much of a danger this is and what they're actually facing. So while it is cringy and he kind of seems like a fuck boy, I do like that this at least. No, no, he's not a fuck boy. You have to go vintage. He's an edgelord. Edgelord, correct. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I know. I know I'm right. <laughs> He has a lot of things to say that I noted down. Like, I I love when he says we're not sins, we're basic human instinct. The implication being that basic human instinct is to sin, which does make sense with, like, the sort of Christian ideology of, you know, everyone being born with sin, no one being free of it except Mary. Yeah, original sin, isn't it called that? Yeah. He also accuses humans of being horny, greedy, hungry, violent animals, which like iconic of us. Yeah. Honestly. I love how he's not wrong about any of this either. Like I think having him able to tell these things that are so true, it does lend like, well, what the fuck do we do now for Sam and Dean? I like that. Sure, 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 sure. And the assigning of specific sins to each of them in the room, except notably for Sam. But it's just funny. He's like, I'm going to read each and every one of you in a row. (laughs) Yeah, I liked Envy. He was a good villain, I will say. But he's gone. (laughs) Poof. (laughs) Bye bye. I did um, enjoy Tamara exercising him. It showed that there are other people out there who have been hunting these creatures that are perceived as so powerful because like she did it lickety split, no problem. 
I have an issue with this because she exercises him. And then they ask, well, what happens to the person he was like living in uh, for lack of a better word? And she's like, he's gone too. Meaning she exercised the demon and then killed this man. Well, not necessarily because they have talked about the fact that a they'll use a, a body of someone who is not living um, or like some they possessed them and then brought them to a state in which uh, yeah. the, they will die as soon as they're not possessed anymore. So it's possible that I think we're supposed to wonder because of her anger, her wrath, even yeah, if she had killed the person, but I don't think she did. I choose not to believe so as well because we've literally never had a single person survive one of these exorcisms in this show. I don't think she would. I think the writers of Supernatural would make her um, because oftentimes the writers kind of stray outside of what fits character-wise. Sure, I get that, yeah. I love the climax itself right after this. There's something really fun to me about they're all divided up in the house having to deal with their own personal demons. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I I apologize. Tamara's in particular, I really I mean it was fucked up that she had to like kill a demon that was, you know, using her husband's body as a host. But also I, I don't know. I still liked it. Maybe I'm just fucked up in the head, but I was like, ooh, ouchie. <laughs> Why does someone else have a Palo Santo stick? Like, that was very effective. <laughs> right? True. And they never bring up Palo Santo again as being, never. like, anti-demon stuff. But I'm remembering it now. Yeah. Watch that come back in a fanfic. It'll <laughs> I like the drama of her having to kill the husband. I do think this very much suffers from the problem of Supernatural where we don't get any Black characters who live or who are nonviolent. And here we get both the brutality of his death and him coming back as a violent creature, even though it's a demon in him. That just really didn't sit well with me. And I think it's, again, that thing where, like, if they had other Black characters who weren't one of those two options, like, it wouldn't read so much that way. And he's literally both of them. So, right, I, like, I like the writing of the plot, but I find it very problematic in context of the show. Yeah. Do we want to talk about this now or do we want to wait? Yeah, let's just talk about yeah, it now. Because I had other stuff about this. I actually hadn't thought about that. I was thinking more about Tamara than Isaac, even though Isaac does die and then does come back violent. I don't know why that didn't even occur to me, but I was thinking about her re-traumatization, not only watching him die, but then having to also kill him. And, you know, on top of that, like her daughter had died and, you know, the death of black youth is a huge problem in this country it's not just adults but on top on top of that even the thing that stands out to me the most is that their personification of wrath is a black woman i'm like yes. we're doing that really like it's so obnoxious like oh man yeah i also was more focused on the trauma because he may have came back as a violent creature a demon but he wasn't showing any physical violence and he died immediately, like before he even got the chance to de defend himself. So 
Sure. I wasn't as worried about that. But yeah, there we just had to like really metaphorically shit on this character as much as possible. Sure. My one thing I can say is like, at least she lived. Yeah. You know, I'm like, at least she lived. At least she lived and at least she was the one to be able to do it because we do kind of damselize her in this a little, but then she gets the agency in the end. So with Tamara and Isaac, I almost was like, what was the point of this narrative? Like, it was cool to have like hunters introduced into this episode, but they didn't really do anything to move the plot along. Like they were just there to be victims to the circumstance. I'm a little conflicted. Like I kind of wish we would have saved Isaac and Tamara for a different episode. Absolutely. And I think my problem also with him becoming violent is not that he's just like possessed by something else. He's specifically violent towards her, which I think also is a narrative of we have often like black women victimized by black men in media too. And I, I it just like feeds into so many things for me that like like was there absolutely no understanding of what they were doing with both these characters with wrath um or like i don't even know if it's better if they knew and still did it or if they're oblivious because how can you be that fucking oblivious being white yeah that's how (laughs) it's true but like Oh my gosh, what the fuck, writers? Like, if I know, I know, it's so, it's frustrating. It like, it feels so obvious. Like, I think even watching this as a teen, I would have been like, we'll hold the phone. You know what I mean? Uh, But like, I don't know. I, I hate to be like, it was a different time and like they were raised in a different time and like whatever. But I mean, they were. I don't know. I don't think that excuses it. I think it's maybe part of the explanation as to why they don't notice that it's an issue. But yeah, maybe it contextualizes it. That's um, a good word. Yeah, not as an excuse because it's still a horrible it's thing and fuck. something that needs discussed. But yeah. it, it shows us kind of what was going on around it that may have caused it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. also, fuck the writers here. Yeah. yeah, seriously. Eric Kripke, I'm going to get you. So after this whole stabbing with Tamara, that's when the demons actually break into the house. Right. Because when Tamara opens the door, it breaks the salt line. I like how we can use a salt line in every other fucking episode and it's always different. And there's always something that different that ends up like one day it's a gust of wind. One day it's evil Ava. Like, I love how this single thing that's so simple gets changed so many ways. Yeah, I like it too. It it has a lot of versatility, despite the fact that salt can be used so many different helpful ways for them. It it doesn't feel like overpowered or anything because it's so easy also for it to be undermined. So when the demons come in, they split up into three groups, which are Sloth and Bobby, Lust and Dean, and then I guess, pride, gluttony, and who the fuck else is left. If they're making this representative of, like, who's who. Oh, they definitely are. They give Bobby Sloth, and I'm like, that old man shut the gates of hell, like, with some old woman. (laughs) I actually, okay, I spent a lot of time thinking about that, because I don't think that he is actually, like, neglectful 
of anything that he's supposed to be responsible for. I think potentially he feels that way. Like, cause the last big thing that happened with him was in all the hell breaks loose part two. Like his big emotional scene with Dean was all about like, oh my God, like, why the fuck did you let this happen? Why did you do this? And I wonder if it isn't that he feels like he's neglected some sort of responsibility to the two of them. Or I don't know, maybe even just to the country or the world as a whole by uh, quote unquote allowing all these demons to escape hell. Like he hasn't done enough to prevent it. I understand the reasoning, but I'm like, you motherfucking writers, uh, get <laughs> Papa Winchester. This man, Bobby, is out here raising Papa Winchester's children. Like, give Papa Winchester fucking sloth for once. No, because don't bring him back. <laughs> also true. I didn't mention this before because it's kind of like a costuming thing. And I want to talk about costuming a little later. But of course, the fucking lust demon is wearing white. Oh, absolutely. I was like, God damn it. Does this imply they were lustful for their mom? We have some Freudian things to unpack here. (laughs) Yeah, they need to stop putting every woman in white because it's just going to cause us to draw so many strange conclusions. Right, right, right. (laughs) And obviously white doesn't mean the same thing every single time in every single context. I don't think it does here. I think they're just playing with the idea of like, Ooh, she's slutty and white is about purity, but she's a slut. I'm going to reclaim it. White now means uh, bleached anus. So if you've just had your anus bleached and you're going into a sexual setting, wear white as an indicator. Hell yeah. Yeah. I think that's what she was doing. I think so too. Jordan, you always show up in black. I'm so (laughs) concerned. Yeah, I got problems. Well, we've just, we've only just invented this rule. Yeah, true. I will say the math in this did not add up. I felt so bad for Sam <laughs> when all the demons Scooby dude in the house and like one went to Dean, one went to Bobby and Sam was like, well, guess I got to deal with four demons. What did you think of the little speech that Pride gave to Sam? Because the other two didn't really talk very much. Oh, yeah. The thing, of course, that I took away from the speech was uh, when he called him the prodigy and the boy king. The boy king, and, yeah. And like, all the demons wanted to see him. And I was like, hmm, this is some interesting threads. Because that's something I had complained about in season two that they didn't do yeah. enough was is to set up those little threads for like us to connect. And this was like a moment of doing that. This whole scene with Sam was setting up intrigue for the rest of the season. So that was very exciting. Yeah, it was, it's a really fun scene. I love like all of those implications about his potential demonic nature, which since we know that Lucifer is associated with pride and also demons and hell and stuff, it, it all checks out. And then on top of that, there's the stuff he says about the yellow eyed demon where he's like, well, we're, we were supposed to bow down to you, but your yellow-eyed friend is dead, so we don't have to do that. You know, the implication being there that the yellow-eyed demon was in charge of, like, some sort of, like, plan or hierarchy or something that has since dissolved. Right after the big speech that Pride has is when Ruby shows up. We don't know her name yet, technically, but it's her. 
I was very excited. I know we had gotten a peek of her earlier, and of course, I yeah, recognized her immediately. Yeah, that's Katie mm-hmm. Cassidy, for anyone who doesn't know. Um, notably, okay. she plays Black Canary. Thank you, Allie. Notably, okay. she plays Laurel Lance on Arrow. <laughs> I was a huge Arrow fan. Okay. <laughs> so that's why I'm so excited. Is this someone is someone I know and like adore? Um, and they also did gave her a horrible blonde hair dye in there. So this one she actually like, why couldn't they just copy this? It was so yeah. good in this. Her character in that show also had a pretty bad treatment. So I hope in this one she gets a good one. We'll see. But I was very excited. Seeing her immediately kill three demons with a magical dagger was another kind of like thread that I was excited about. Because they make a big point earlier about the fact that they don't really have any good way to dispatch demons. Mm -hmm. Yes, Like they're not going to hold still to be exercised. They don't have any more bullets in the cult. And they really, there's nothing else they can do about them. Except now there's Ruby with a magic knife. Yeah, she just kind of hacks up some demons and leaves. It's awesome. I love the like slow-mo that they do. Yeah. It's cool. I'm not usually big into slow-mo, but I thought it worked here. I also love how she just says Sam's name and then, like, leaves. Um, which yeah, is- he's like, who are you? And she's uh-huh. like, see you later. <laughs> yeah, I love that energy of just leaving us in pure confusion. It's perfect for the start of a season. Mm-hmm. The only other fight we haven't talked about yet is Dean with the lust demon but I honestly don't think it's that interesting is why I didn't bring it up it's like yeah of course like that's the one he gets with because he's the horny character and then he sicks her in the bathtub I don't know like it's just not that interesting to me all I put was Dean fights another woman like why is Dean always having to fight women I don't know something something about gender yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i also thought like having a weird threesome in the first scene was a stupid lead up to him having a final showdown with the lost demon so i agree it's just two on the nose oh can i talk about something else with dean though instead of that scene i'm a Uh little sad that we're now in a new season and we're still getting this like dean is suicidal (laughs) narrative well, now he's suicidal for a different reason. True. Dean is perpetually suicidal. Sam is perpetually maybe evil. Yeah, yeah just get see. used to it. Like, he just has really bad depression. He's just suicidal. Yeah. That's, like, part of his character. I am a little curious how this crossroad demon thing works, though, because I'm like, does he for sure get a year to live? Because I'm like, I would get real reckless <laughs> if, like... yeah well that i mean i think that's the root of all of his bullshit right now is he's like well i got a year let's go well not only does he have a year does that year have to be fulfilled is what i'm trying to say like oh true oh no he could die early okay so there's no like year-long plot armor (laughs) that would be amazing that would be cool i'd love to see some like reverse final destination shit happen oh absolutely some skydiving without a parachute just to see i feel like that would be (laughs) incredible oh my gosh okay though so now that we've seen every single character in this i want to talk about the fashion i want to talk about the costumes i already touched on briefly the lust thing that's stupid i'll just say that right out notably we just had ruby 
the fucking thigh holster. I love it. I love it. The grommet belt. She's got like the almost peplum flared cropped jacket thing going on. Definitely was wearing boots. She has like these layered drop waist tank tops in like purple and black. And she's like got the eyeliner all the way around the eye, even on the waterline so that we know she's like edgy. (laughs) (laughs) It's incredible. I love it. That's a fashion win. I think the one fashion thing that kind of makes me laugh about how this show styles like now in this episode we have like an ensemble cast which we don't always get um it whenever we have like a bunch of hunters together or a bunch of bad guys too everyone looks like they're from the same clique in this show oh my god yeah it's so freaking funny to me well you have to remember too though that year that was the style. I, like, it, do you yeah, remember absolutely. how in that like canvas jacket, olive green collar palette thing was? Yep. Oh my God, it was horrible. It was. But you can really tell that that's when this was made because like every single person, like even a ton of the extras, like around the shoe incident, they're all wearing that. Even the um, the shoe attacker was wearing like essentially a Sam outfit. Like yep. I remember distinctly thinking, when they cut to the next scene and they're like investigating the consignment shop, I was, I was like, literally Sam is wearing the exact same outfit she was wearing, but just like with a masculine cut, it was fucking ridiculous. Tamara is the other standout. I think of course, you know, they just styled the women more. I'm obsessed with her hair, like the sort of Mm. spiky feathered pixie cut, but then her bangs are like sort of pressed down and pushed so that they're flared to her left side. The Halle Berry that was so popular at the time. So popular. And they put some makeup on her, like just on her lids to like give some depth. I mean, she's covered in makeup anyway, but I mean like visible makeup. And it's like, it's nice. It's like not too much. Yeah, her clothes are pretty practical, but she looks good in them. Like, they have her in that navy blue t-shirt. And then before that, she's in, like, a gray Henley. You know, I like it. Oh, I have one fashion thing. Yeah. Bobby was styled so different in this episode than he usually is. I could not put my finger on it, but I specifically wrote down that Bobby's vibe felt different. Totally in an aesthetic way. I think his hat was different than usual. And maybe it's, I think he may have just been wearing a vest with no coat. Oh, maybe. I'd have to go back. We also haven't gotten much of him, so. True. True. He's worn the same shirt for most of the episodes he's been in. It's the one with the deer on it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He he was wearing a white shirt with a black vest, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, that is So maybe it was his first time without the deer shirt. That's what it was. Are we ready to talk about the final scene between the boys? Yeah, let's talk about that. I feel like we've gotten this conversation before, but... Well, no, because this is the first time that Dean has been like, he's he's being open about the fact that they can't break the deal. He's like, don't, because you'll die. And it's the first time we've gotten specifics about True. that outside of the context of Dean making the deal. He just flat out hasn't mentioned it. Something that makes me laugh about this scene is the way that it's introduced. So Sam is like trying to get him to go to Louisiana on a tip from Tamara, who says she knows a hoodoo priestess in the swamp. And I'm like, okay, listen, let me give you this at least. At least you're being regional, you know? 
at least the implication here is that this hoodoo woman is probably black but I told you I fucking told you hoodoo is just their catch-all like I don't know yep. <laughs> let's do some hoodoo I don't know I don't know what's happening maybe it's hoodoo oh this show yeah, it feels like when they reference hoodoo, it's like how we're kind of like, well, it's witchcraft. Yeah, that was interesting to me. I do like how they didn't drag out Dean telling Sam. I thought it was really good that he was upfront about this um, because they haven't always been upfront with each other. So um, some character development or relationship development between the brothers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think because the stakes are so low for Dean right now, he doesn't care. <laughs> like, why yeah. hide it? contrasted with the idea of the stakes being really really high if sam does pursue this further so it's like you know there's a little balancing act going on but yeah Mm -hmm. i liked that the scene was much more focused on um the fact of the deal and like what you're doing is hypocritical and selfish and all this and he's just like yeah Yeah. i don't care i really love the line in particular when dean is talking about like being tired and he feels like there's a light at the end of the tunnel and Sam's like, it's hellfire. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, like that. That's kind of like a mic drop moment. That even more so put it in perspective, how he truly is like, well, I genuinely don't have options. I accept that it's not going to be good, but here we are. Yeah, totally. And like just hammering home to that. Like if the light at the end of the tunnel, which is symbolically like the heaven afterlife usually mm-hmm. is actually hell and he's like that's better than the life that I'm living right now like doing this job that I'm sick of doing I'm like oh man buddy <laughs> oh man my small little boy let me hold you does anyone have any more notes about the episode itself I have just one teeny one. I really like how it leaves off with Dean saying, like, let's kill some evil sons of bitches and raise hell. Because I think that does set up his attitude towards this season where it's just kind of like, well, here we are, nothing else to do. Let's just fuck shit up. Yeah. At least for the beginning of yes, the season. Yes. Yeah. Well, nice. With that, are we about ready to talk about the fanfic? Oh, my gosh. I would love to talk about the fanfic. Today's fic is called Four Weekends at Bobby's. It's by AO3 user Not Your Answer. It's actually relatively new, only from a few years ago. Posted at the end of September in 2019. Wow, pre-pandemic. The summary is, four times John Winchester drops Dean and Sam at Bobby's. The first time ends with hugs from the boys. The last time ends with a shotgun pointed at John. I love that little bit of Bobby lore that they hadn't spoken in forever. The last time that he talked to John, he kicked him out with a shotgun to his face. Thank God. (laughs) Right? This fic is rated T. Um, It's just a gen fic. There's no slash because, you know, it's about childhood stuff. The characters involved are Bobby, Dean, Sam, and John. Additional tags include our favorite, John Winchester's A-plus parenting. Implied or referenced child abuse, pre-canon, pre-season slash series one, POV Bobby, 
parental Bobby relationship study, fluff, fluff and angst. Um, this is very short. Also, it's only about 4k words. I'm really interested in fanfic that explores, uh, the relationship between the boys and Bobby. I don't know. I think he's just such a stabilizing force in their life. And, like you can see that in this episode, obviously, but before that, it's not as clear. And from this point on, it he just fills that role more and more strongly. Yeah, it's just nice to see like an adult figure care about them at all. And like knowing what we know about their childhood, I, I love going back and like reimagining that like they spent more time with Bobby actually because they don't like really get mm-hmm. into how much time they did actually spend yeah. there. But it seems feasible that they would spend plenty of time there. I really like what Bobby does for the series and I how this could translate to fan fiction because like he's the only kind of positive role model in this mm-hmm. show because everyone who gets introduced is like having some kind of dilemma or issue but Bobby like knows what he wants he knows how to get it and he raises everyone up instead of bringing others down yeah I just love Bobby <laughs> I love him that's my grandpa are we ready to read the episode I am so ready I'm ready it was a good start to the season I thought it told a pretty concise story I liked the villains it was it played with tone a lot it wasn't afraid to have fun with itself and it had good action scenes negatives i didn't fully feel like tamara and isaac were fully realized characters that's kind of my major complaints so i'm gonna give this a four out of five shoes to kill for (laughs) what about you ali I'm going to make my my rating based on, I really love this episode, but for me, it has so many things that are problematic that Supernatural repeats. To me, to start a season with that is also especially like setting the tone for more of this, um, which I kind of fault them twice for, especially at the start of a season. So solely because of the depictions of the other hunter couple and all the issues surrounding that in math i'm going to only give it a 3.5 out of 5 but i'll give it 3.5 women in white dresses how long are we going to be able to use women in white as a (laughs) (laughs) as a rating system i hate it literally always I'm going to give this one a 3.75 out of 5 die holsters because I think I had a lot of the same problems with it that you did, Allie. Like, and also there were just some extreme cringe moments that I was like, please, no. Like all the stuff in the beginning with the twins, like, I don't know (laughs) about that. But otherwise, it's a complex episode that sets up a lot of compelling uh, threads for us to follow throughout the season and to keep track of. I love the introduction of Ruby and her fucking badass slow-mo demon sledge. Uh, And, you know, getting a peek at what the hunter world outside of our little Winchester bubble looks like is very interesting. I just wish some of the stuff with Tamara and Isaac had been handled better. Yes, exactly. Jordan, what do you think will happen next? Ooh, I'm excited. I wrote stuff down. I had a lot of big ideas. I love that. So the first one, I don't think we're ever going to see Tamara again. I'm just putting that out there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I think she just literally drove off to oblivion. 
Supernatural, forgot about her. But uh, most of my stuff focuses around, I wrote her down as Blonde Demon. Her name is Ruby. I assume she was a demon. I guess that has not been explained to me yet or shown through the series, but I just assume she's a demon. I think her plot is going to revolve around Sam. I think they're going to enter into a sexual relationship. Just weird to put out there, but I think that they've hinted at demons being sexually attracted to Sam. So I just see that happening. I think she's going to be kind of an anti-hero that becomes a villain. So maybe she has to use Sam. Maybe it could even be through fucking Sam since I had that to maybe break some kind of seal. Maybe we're going to have like fucking Satan or something come now. Incredible. Wait, wait, will fucking Satan come or will it just be fucking Satan? Uh, fuck the second fucking Satan. I mean, people can fuck Satan if they want, though. I'm not one to judge. But (laughs) I think the types of villains and monsters we're going to see, um, we had talked a little bit about like uh, in the lore naming the actual sins. I actually don't like see these as big demon threats. I mean, they were, but I actually kind of see maybe getting like Belial or Asmodeus or even like fucking Lilith as -hmm. possibly like uh, demons that they could possibly bring out to play with. So that's pretty much Mm -hmm. it. Do you think Dean's going to get out of his deal? I don't think Dean's going to get out of his deal. I actually think Dean's going to die and be resurrected. (laughs) So that's my, what I think is going to end up happening. But I think they're going to try really damn hard. And I think maybe <laughs> Ruby will have something to do with that. So incredible. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to enjoying season three with the both of y'all. Me too. Yes. Thanks for tuning in to On the Road with Supernatural. Our theme music was composed by Anthony Ployhar, and special thanks to Sophia Landon for our logo. If you're having fun, Hit us up on Tumblr, Instagram, or Twitter at OTR Supernatural, or contact us by email at ontheroadwithsupernatural at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. That's all for today. See you next time in Cicero, Indiana. Bye. Bye. Bye.